This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, your hosts, Drew Dawkin and Grant Collins, will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. Hello, everybody. Today, it's the morning of September 23rd. Yesterday, the market broke its four-day losing streak. The Dow was up about half a percent. Um, S&P 500 was up uh, over a little over a percent. We saw the 10-year Treasury end at 0.671% unchanged, and uh, volatility was down slightly at 3%. Uh, this morning, it's Wednesday, we've seen the market kind of continue somewhat of a downward slide, at least in these early hours. Um, Grant, what do you got for us? Well, we saw the S&P turn negative within the first 30 minutes of market open today. Um, really continue of the of the tech sell-off. We saw shares of Amazon, Netflix, Alphabet, and Apple all fall about 1%, dragging the NASDAQ down about 06 I think over the next week, we're going to see a lot more volatility in the market, more than we've already seen, as we're coming to the end of the quarter and we can see fund man- managers shift their holdings around. Uh, you know, to- All in all this quarter, the S&P is up about 7.1%, so that could force some managers uh, to sell who need to get out of their equity holdings in line with their allocation targets. Uh, so we could see some, some sell-off next week. Yeah, you mentioned Apple. That's certainly been a big one. Um, when we're looking at from you know September second to September eighteenth, we saw Apple drop twenty two point six percent. They lost about five hundred and thirty two billion in market value. Um, we've seen Tim Cook announce a series of new hardware and some software updates, like the Apple Watch Series six, the iPad Air, and Apple One, which is a fitness service. Uh, however, ultimately, Apple still hasn't announced a new phone, um, and the market was been lukewarm on what they offered. Uh, part of this is systematic too, right? I mean, we've seen Nasdaq, as you mentioned, plunge into correction territory, and there's certainly been uh, tech sell-offs across the board, but um, Amazon's definitely in a rough news patch. Yeah, and I thought it was funny how when they announced that uh, fitness software that Peloton welcomed him to the market. I, I don't know if Peloton should be worried or, <laughs> or not, yeah. but whenever Apple jumps into something, you, you better watch out. I, I agree. I think analysts were looking for a new phone and, and we saw that. We also may see Apple's weakness because there's a broad sell-off in the tech sector as a whole, as, as we mentioned. Uh, so people are, are rotating out uh, of that market. Also, one thing is is maybe we, we saw that jump uh, when they announced that four to one stock split, even though the fundamentals are the same, that is a lower price that may be more attractive for investors to get Apple at. Yeah, no, in August alone, Apple went up uh, 21.4%. Another interesting one to be looking at is is Tesla. Uh, seems like, you know, they've, they've got certainly a production and demand tra- trajectory in China uh, remains very strong. You know, the Chinese definitely have a lot of demand for the Model 3s. And, you know, ultimately, we're we're, we're just seeing uh, China's projected to account for over 40% of Tesla's global sales uh, in early 2022, right? So, I mean, as a result, we've seen the firm, you know, raise its full year deliveries forecast from 457,000 units to 470,000 units, 470,000 units. So, um, you know, there's definitely some strong numbers there. 
Man, one thing to note on that is those the Model 3 sold in China actually have a, a higher profit margin relative to those sold in the United States and Europe. So it, it is a more profitable for the company. So that may be a reason why they have such a Chinese focus. One other thing is that Tesla and, and some of their last uh, last uh, shareholder meetings have talked about uh, commercial scale energy storage. Uh, and so we've seen that over the last couple of weeks, they've talked more about Tesla energy becoming a big part of its automotive business, which would be a big shift for them. And if we think about battery storage in the future, that could be a huge profit line for them. We did see Elon Musk at the 2020 shareholder meeting say that he expects overall car deliveries, excuse me, to go up 30 to 40 percent. Last year was 50 percent. So they're still growing pretty rapid. And he expects to have over 500,000 cars delivered. But if we still compare that again to some of the larger, larger uh, companies, it's still a fraction of of the number of cars. Yeah. And we've seen some analysts increase their forecasts. Uh, You know, Piper Sandler analyst Alexander Potter uh, boosted his 12 month price target on Tesla stock from 480 to 515. Um, you know, an, another really unique thing that's facing the tech industry across the board is, you know, China and the U.S. are kind of rattling um, kind of a tech cold war, um, so to speak, over the semiconductor industry. I mean, we've seen that the other week the Trump administration announced that it was considering imposing export restrictions on Semiconductor Manufacturing International Corporation which is China's largest manufacturer of semiconductors. And we've seen other such restrictions, you know, on tech across the board like Huawei. But uh, I think semiconductors is going to be a big, big deal. Uh, there's a couple of firms like Intel and Micron that still make chips in the United States. But when you look at Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, I mean, they have overall more than half the market. Um, and for, you know, for manufacturing chips and Apple and Qualcomm and, uh, they certainly they certainly need, you know, TSMC. Well, if you look at the components of the chips, they can travel more than uh, 25,000 miles for completion and cross borders 70 times before the final product is delivered to the end customer. So if we see restrictions between China and the U.S., this could greatly impact, as you said, uh, iPhone manufacturers like like Apple and, and Qualcomm. One thing that we should mention is, is we are seeing some bills come out of Washington. We see Chips for America Act, very clever on the name there, uh, <laughs> creating helpful incentives to produce semiconductors. So it, it actually works. But that creates a, a 40% investment tax for semiconductors and equipment. The equipment is, is very high tech and very expensive. So this is pretty pretty big, as well as a $10 billion fund to match any chip manufacturing incentive programs and also a $12 billion RMD. The other bill is the American Foundries Act, which authorizes the Department of Commerce to offer $15 billion in grants to assist in construction expansion, as I said, in these development facilities and advanced research. If we continue to think that the U.S. tech uh, Cold War is going to continue to heat up. I think semiconductors is absolutely something that we need to watch for, especially if we think about national security. So uh, the, the plans may take, I, I was seeing something, you know, 2023, 2024 before um, they, they would be fully functional. A lot of them are looking to to Arizona area to, to 
build these new plants, but we could see a, a big shift from, as you said, more than half the market being uh, in China and Taiwan uh, and moving back towards the United States. Well, I think you're right. I mean, it is a national security issue, uh, and both of these pieces of legislation are kind of offshoots of the National Defense Authorization Act. Um I mean, but it's we're really at a competitive disadvantage so far. I mean, in 2025, China's got a made in China plan. They've committed to, you know, doing one hundred twenty billion dollars to shore up domestic semiconductor manufacturing. They've got a goal of producing 70 percent of all chips needed for local consumption. I mean, and additionally, we've seen the U.S. share of global semiconductor manufacturing capacity. I mean, that's been cut to just 12 percent over the past 20 years. Uh, and, you know, by 2023, it's forecast to fall, you know, to 10 percent. So, you know, that's certainly it's certainly going to be one of the big things when we're trying to talk about uh, new Cold War. You know, whether we're looking at Russia, it's, you know, you got space, you got nukes, you got steel uh, with us in China. I, I do think semiconductors is going to be uh, a big thing. Um well, and it's going to disrupt the global supply chain if we if we see the U.S. and China and China, as you said, is is the largest producer of them. And you're absolutely right. The United States, as we push those to Asia, we have put ourselves behind the eight ball if, if we're thinking that we want to all of a sudden jump into this because to build out the facilities and the hardware, uh, it, it takes years to process. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Um, additionally, you know, we, we have seen that consumer sentiments reached a six-month high in September. Uh, you know, the University of Michigan's preliminary sentiment for September advanced to 78.9. Um, that's from its August reading of 74.1. Uh, and, you know, you're looking at the median estimate for economists surveyed by Bloomberg was 75. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's jumped a bit. We do have to mention that the gauge is still below pre-pandemic levels, as we think. But uh, Americans were you know, more upbeat about their finances, which which is always good. We did see 16% of respondents say they expect the economy to worsen in the year ahead. And that's the smallest share since 2015. Uh, so good news, somewhat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we did see a separate report come out on Thursday that showed the labor market is gradually improving as the number of Americans applying for jobless claims, benefits continued to decrease. Uh, it, it is good to see that. The economy are now facing some new challenges after a summer of strong employment growth. And now we see a lot of economists and healthcare professionals really worried about the resurgence of COVID-19 cases that could stall or reverse some of these, these gains in the labor market. Yeah, as it stands right now, I mean, Muhammad El Alrain, who's the chief economic advisor at Allianz, you know, tweeted that the numbers in regards to jobless claims were, you know, at a pace that's below what's both needed and possible. Um, and, you know, this is despite the fact that, uh, you know, it's continuing to top estimates. Uh, I mean, we got for Bullard, um, you know, the Fed's Bullard. He is certainly uh, bullish on this upcoming quarter. Uh, I mean, he sees that unemployment rate will fall to 6.5% by the end of the year. Uh, I mean, the media projections have been 7.6% um, that, you know, his colleagues in the Fed, the Fed uh, reached out the other week. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, right now, I mean, 
As of August, unemployment was at 8.4. I mean, the pandemic peak, we were pushing 15%. So he, he really thinks we're just going to take off this quarter. But He's looking at an annual rate of, of 30%. And if you listen to a couple podcasts ago with, with Jonathan at, over at Credit Suisse, he, he really broke down how they look at these numbers. And if we look at how that annual rate is, is comes about is, is that we look at the this quarter compared to last quarter, and then we multiply by four on that growth rate. And if we think about last quarter uh, being a record low for GDP contraction, then yeah, it would make sense that this is that this is a, a growth. I, I don't necessarily agree with him that we're going to see the the biggest quarter of growth because of, of where we are and, and how we compare it. The number may look like, but if we actually think about our uh, biggest quarter of growth, I, I don't think it's going to be this one. I mean, we're, we're, we're definitely in election season, and uh, we've talked about trade, of course, over the last year. Uh, one interesting point of contention is, let's assume that President Biden wins the election. What might that mean for trade policy? Well, that's a that's an open ended question. Um, when we think about all the tariffs that we've seen and, and how we've been hard on China, looks like both candidates are looking to restrict imports from China uh, that they deem national security threats. I would agree with both of them. Uh, one big difference that that Biden may come in is not totally remove the tariffs, but use tariffs as a way to. Uh, hold countries up to their environmental obligations about uh, carbon adjustment fees instead of it. Uh, we, we have seen Biden plans come out to strengthen to buy America rules uh, to bring back some manufacturing jobs. Uh, so it looks like the, the Democrats are now speaking a little bit more like the campaign promises that we saw from from Donald Trump in 2016. Uh, looks like this buy America is the, has the government looking to buy more foreign cement uh, and steel and equipment to make it harder for, for governments to buy those to really buy American, uh, which I am all about. Yeah. I mean, one thing that he can't run on, obviously, you know, being part of the Democratic Party, but I mean, most of the, uh, you know, the, the mainland Trump supporters, obviously, they've certainly changed on free trade. It's just not nearly as popular as a force as it used to be, especially when we're looking at 90s. And the expansion, the creation of NAFTA, and then under uh, Bush Jr., you know, we had the, the Central American Free Trade Agreement, and you know, it was just a long process of opening up. But I do think that Biden might be behooved to renegotiate with the Trans-Pacific Partnership, the TPP. I mean, the whole entire goal of the block was to keep China at bay. I mean, you got countries like Australia, Canada, Chile, Japan. Um, Malaysia, Mexico, I mean, New Zealand, Singapore, Vietnam, um, et cetera. So a lot of major economies that are Pacific Rim countries that, uh, you know, we'd be a lot powerful together than, than on our own would be the thinking. So I wouldn't be surprised if if Biden does does um, kind of reopen talks uh, and, and, and attempt to revive it. Yeah, and we've seen him come out saying he has plans – to spend $300 billion of public funds to support research in artificial intelligence, electronic vehicles, and in 5G, having a clawback provision for companies that ship jobs overseas. So that's interesting. And he's also pledged to fight back against countries who are undercutting American manufacturing with unfair subsidies. So, you know, it's all hypothetical now, but it seems like he's talking a big game. So 
we'll have to wait till November until then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, is there anything else we might have overlooked, do you think? Uh, well, I think there's there's been a couple big things in the news. One big thing is we saw the Justice Department has a case against Google that focuses on their search dominance. Uh, this could really set off a number of separate lawsuits from from states on Google's power. We, we have seen that the EU has has targeted Google about their their search engine. And, and so this could be a, a long battle for Google. And it could be at a time where we see a lot of antitrust uh, towards tech companies. So this is something to watch out for. Uh, the other one, we did mention the semiconductor aspect of the tech cold war heating up with China. But I think the one that we would have to mention is, is the TikTok deal. We see Oracle and Microsoft, even Walmart through their name, partnering in there. Um, but we have seen that there has been heavy influence from D.C. and Beijing. Um, so <clears throat> continue to watch that. One company that I guess is coming under... Uh, in the crosshairs is uh, Tencent, which is the China tech giant with a market cap of $630 billion and could be one that the U.S. bans because of the WeChat messaging app that they control. But they've also invested heavily in, in U.S. companies. And so they can now they're if, if something happens where they escalate that or ban WeChat, uh, China said they would retaliate with looking to ban Cisco. So that really could get out of control fast if we start banning these, these huge tech giants. What about you, Drew? Yeah, I, I mean, recently Larry Kudlow said he didn't see any stimulus needed for a V-shaped recovery. Uh, but, I mean, I, I do think that they're going to be juggling whether there needs to be more stimulative efforts on Capitol Hill um, alongside you know, they're trying to fill a Supreme Court seat, um, obviously. And so that's going to be a big thing. Um, and then, and then you know, we also have the debates coming up, too, later this week. So uh, there's, there's a lot going on in D.C. Absolutely. I'm glad I'm not there. <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks for tuning in, everybody. Please like and subscribe. Uh, and we're out. Uh, we'll see you next week. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WealthFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WealthFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WealthFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WealthFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked in any of the content. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.